0: Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast where I go in deep with experts in mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring figures from around the globe. Kate Courtney is your 2017 U.S. Elite National Champion in cross-country mountain biking. Not only that, she is a regular on top of the podium at the World Cup stage in the U23 category, and a recent graduate of Stanford University in human biology. Kate is no stranger to the sport of mountain biking. She started racing at age 14 and was racing World Cups two years later. This year was her first elite national champion jersey, but she's been wearing the stars and stripes many times. She is 10 time national champion through racing junior, U23, and collegiate. And she won the Pro XCT series this year. She was the leader of the U23 World Cup series. She is a total badass. Not only that, but Kate is incredibly approachable and charismatic. And I absolutely love following her on social media, especially on her Instagram. Definitely check out the show notes for that. Thank you so much to everyone who is supporting the show. And if you're enjoying it, hey, please leave a review on iTunes. It helps so much. And if you want to contribute financially to the show, I have a Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash the Sonia Looney show. And your financial contributions are greatly appreciated because I am paying out of my pocket to produce the show, but I really believe in it. And I really like the medium of podcasting. It's pretty cool these days that we get to crowdfund and that people can support things that they believe in. And I definitely have done my fair share of financial support for people who are doing cool things. One last thing before we get into the show, I have started a Facebook group called Plant-Powered Tribe with Sonia Looney, and everyone is invited. You don't have to eat a plant-based diet. It's just about eating healthy and creating a community where people can have great conversations about what they're eating and healthier ways of living. But that's enough for me. Let's get into the show. Let's hear from Kate Courtney. Hey, Kate. Hi. How you doing? Good, how are you doing? Really good. You're in California, right? I am. It is beautiful and sunny here. All right, well, I'm going there tomorrow, so I'm hoping that it stays nice and warm. <laughs> I think I think the forecast, I just actually got a heat
1: warning on my phone, so no way. I think you're in luck.
0: <laughs> I think I might need to move for the winter. <laughs> I can't recommend
1: it enough. I love love being home for the off
0: season. Is that where you grew up, in California? Yeah, so I actually grew up at the
1: base of Mount Tam, where, where mountain biking was initially invented, so definitely some cool history there, and grew up riding in Marin, and started racing actually as part of a high school team there. So
0: Yeah, so for those of the listeners that aren't familiar, you were part of the NICA League, right? Yeah, so I
1: actually, my first race ever was a NorCal high school mountain bike race. I raced in freshman category and that was my introduction to the sport and raced in the Nike leagues until I was a senior so I got 4 years of it and um, it was actually during my time a very competitive little group of women going through the NORCAL league specifically and the podium at our varsity races was almost identical to the podium at nationals so it was a wow. really cool experience learning a lot about racing, racing a lot and having really great women to look up to.
0: Yeah. And for those of you guys who don't know, NICA is a national interscholastic cycling association, and it's a really cool league in the United States that basically helps get people into a team in high school. And like, for me, I'm a bit older than you, but I didn't even know that mountain biking was a sport and I didn't even get started till I was in college through a collegiate cycling program. So it's really neat that There's such a great opportunity now for younger people um, to join like an organization that they can race in.
1: Absolutely. And I think another thing that's really unique and special about high school mountain biking is that it's a come as you are party. I like to say it. it really has a place for everyone. It has a place for families to be involved. They all can attend the races. It has a place for someone who aspires to be a professional cyclist like I did when I was a junior and senior. But it also has a place for kids who maybe aren't natural athletes or weren't always drawn to athletics, but want a challenge and want to focus on fitness and be a part of a community and a team without necessarily needing to be the fastest, which I think is something that's missing from a lot of high school sports where you can be benched or not make it.
0: Yeah, totally. And just having a place where you can belong, especially as a high school student, I mean, that's so powerful and it builds a lot of confidence too. Absolutely. Yeah. So what made you decide to do a race? I mean, you said, did you start mountain biking at a younger age, but like, why did you choose mountain biking over any other sport or group? Yeah, I actually,
1: so I grew up riding a tandem mountain bike with my dad on mountain. That's so awesome. And it was really just a vehicle for pancakes for me This <laughs> this is a theme that has continued in my life, but Really, we would go on the weekends and get blu ray pancakes and it was just for fun so I didn't know about the competitive world of cycling at all I actually ran cross country I ski raced I did a lot of other sports and when I got to high school I was getting a little bit more serious about being an athlete and ran cross country in the fall and was looking for something to cross train and I was never really in love with r- running track because I think Mostly I loved being outside, being in nature, being with the group, and doing that more endurance-style effort. So Mm -hmm. when I found mountain biking, I just thought of it as a way to cross train. And I think my initial racing actually is what really turned me on to the sport and made me transition kind of immediately to racing bikes full-time instead of running. So it was a great experience and something that I think really impacted both my athletic career, obviously, but also my social life in high school. And a lot of the people that I still spend a lot of time with, and actually my boyfriend, I met as a freshman, he was one of the people that most wanted me to join the team. So no way. Well, community experience, in addition to being kind of what I was really yearning for from an athletic side
0: yeah yeah and what was your first race like? because like everybody has a different experience and some people who are really accomplished racers were fast from the beginning and other people had maybe more humbling beginnings. So what was it like for you? I think it was actually a really
1: perfect introduction to racing because racing in the freshman category, it means that you know everyone's just coming into high school. most people don't have experience racing. So you're really like in a group of beginners. Whereas I think oftentimes when you race nationally, you sometimes end up with really, really fast people, and that can be discouraging. So my first race, I, I won by a good margin, and that, to me, I think definitely helped with my interest in the sport. Mm-hmm. And upgraded. I think I upgraded to JV that year, so was a bit more challenging, and I wasn't winning races, but was really kind of in love with the competitive spirit of biking, I will also say that I was incredibly nervous. I had no idea what I was doing and was super nervous about the race. I actually learned how to take a bottle feed (laughs) like 15 minutes before from said now boyfriend and (laughs) didn't know what to eat, was completely panicked about it. But I think having the support of the team, having these older racers to look up to, and also having an initial experience that was really positive and made me feel like I could do it was really empowering and kind of settled those nerves a little bit, although they still come up every race.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think it's also great for people to hear that no matter how long you've been racing and no matter how accomplished you are, you still get nervous before races. Like it's not something that just goes away as a beginner and it's something to accept, but actually I'll just jump straight into this part. So how do you deal with pre-race nerves?
1: Yeah, that's something that I think, you know, half of it is the classic, oh, with experience, it gets better, which I think is true in a lot of ways. The more you race, the more you realize that you can drop a chain or get a flat tire or not do as well as you thought you might. And life will go on and you will race again. And when when no one will remember. That's right. (laughs) So I think having a few of those experiences and realizing, oh, I can deal with challenges. I'm going to be okay. I will still be loved and still love cycling if something goes wrong. Uh, Does kind of calm your nerves a little bit. But I think dealing with the nerves of those bigger races, especially for me leading into the World Cup Series and World Championships this year, for me is a matter of preparation and also routine. So I think I get most anxious when I feel like I don't have control on race day. And so I really focus on, controlling the controllables and making a pre-race routine that gets me to the start line knowing I am ready to go and that everything else will sort itself out and I'll be ready for a challenge if there is one that day but that I've done everything I can and that feeling for me comes from the routine and the repetition of waking up at the same time eating the same breakfast doing the same warm up you know taking a few moments to take a deep breath at the same time And really following that process that I've kind of tried, perfected, dialed in throughout the season, and that I can trust. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting just in general with anxiety, people feel out of control and they feel like they're not grounded in any way. And there are so much great information about creating a routine, whether it be for a race or for whatever. Um, I know right now, like in the wellness space, having a morning routine is really popular and everybody talks about their morning routine. So it sounds like, yeah, for racing, I personally have a routine as well that makes me feel really good. And you can be anywhere in the world and have that same routine And yeah, I think that's a really great way to ground yourself. But I think that something you said that's really important is the things out of your control. Just try not to worry about those. And what also what you said is knowing that people will still love you, even if you don't get first place or whatever those results are and knowing that you aren't your results. So that's a really hard jump to actually make. There's lots of racers who are really nervous because they're afraid of what other people will think about them. So, and I'm sure that you've had these experiences where maybe you didn't do as well as you wanted, and then you're worried about what people thought of you. So how did you work through that to get to the point where you're okay with dropping a chain or getting a flat tire or what, or having those things happen and then still being okay?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that it's just a continued process. It's something that I'm thinking about a lot and working through at races. And the pressure is always different. The expectations are always different. So it's a new experience every time. But I think at World Championships this year, I definitely kind of went through that in the biggest way possible. I went into it with, I wouldn't say high expectations, but, you know, like true belief in the possibilities, which puts you in a precarious situation when... You crash 15 seconds into the race. Um, So I did have a challenging day that day and didn't have the miracle, fantastic result that I had hoped for and dreamed about. But I think the work that I had put in before that race to really think through it, prepare and, you know, trust the process, believe in it and be okay with the result made it a lot better in the moment And I remember my sports psychologist said to me that week on our call that my results don't determine my self-worth. And what was it? There was one other thing. Oh, to have grace with myself. And those two little nuggets of wisdom really stuck with me that week because I think it was easy to see my self-worth as, oh, I got second place. But it pushed me to think about, you know, myself from the perspective of a friend, almost, you know, how would a friend view this result or an even better way to look at it? How would my mom who is watching on the sidelines view this result? And that actually led me to being really prideful in it because I overcame an obstacle. I proved to myself that even in a really disappointing situation, I can fight back. I can race really well. And that's something that I can walk away from feeling really satisfied in my performance. And rather than thinking, oh, everyone in, in the crowd may have thought this or that, I kind of tried to maintain that positive energy. And what I found was that people actually really supported me and kind of were in a little bit of disbelief, but being able to fight back and really connected with that story and told me a lot of stories about moments that they had overcome challenges and other things like that. So I think it ended up really changing my perspective of results and making it more about performance and doing the best that I could given the circumstances. And I think that if you can strive to like honor your true ability and just trust it and do the best you can, you'll always walk away at least knowing that you are satisfied with the effort you gave, whether or not it, you know, (laughs) worked out on that one day.
0: Yeah, totally. I love that two weeks ago, I had a a guest on and she is a really famous researcher in self-compassion. And what you just said is exactly what she said. It's like, you have to be your own friend and you have to view yourself and treat yourself like you would a friend. And a lot of times we're so hard on ourselves and whenever you're hard on yourself, it makes you show up in the world in a not great way. So I think that it's really apparent to me, like I've actually never met you in person, but I follow you online, I'm, I'm a super fan and your grace and your charisma show through all of your pictures, through your smile and that self-compassion and that inner work that you've done really shines through everything that you put out into the world. Thank you, that, that means
1: a lot. I feel the same way about you and following a lot of other women in the mountain bike community. And I think that's something that's really special about social media and about the sport as a whole is that, you know, by and large, All the women you see on mountain bikes on the internet are really psyched to be out there, really psyched to be doing it, and also really supportive of each other, which is a really special thing.
0: Yeah, I kind of feel like that was a shift that's happened, because it seemed like I don't race cross-country anymore, but I race cross-country... Uh, probably like seven or eight years ago is when I stopped. And it felt like the environment was not a nice environment and that people weren't very nice to one another and it was hyper competitive. And that was before social media really was like super mainstream like it is now. So I actually feel that now it is amazing how nice everybody is to everybody else. And it's really built camaraderie and community, which is what social media is supposed to do. And I think that's really cool. Wow, I didn't
1: know that. I think I entered the sport probably after that luckily but i do feel like it's continued to take kind of positive steps and head in a positive direction in part because women are one using social media in a really positive way but also standing up and being leaders in the community and i think the role models i've had in the sport and the older women that are you know currently racing they've really made an effort to kind of reach back and help other younger riders coming up in the sport. And I think that's changed the dynamic a lot as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the community of women cycling is quite good. And people always say, "Oh, like, how do we get more women into the sport? And I think we're doing a great job by setting a positive, strong example of this is what it looks like to be a female professional cyclist. And it looks like being a human. And I think that that's important. Because Whenever you, there's no human element, then people think it's unobtainium. So I think that that's a really cool thing that our community right now, all of us who are racing are doing a great job of. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's go back to your, you said your junior year of high school, you said, okay, maybe I want to do this professionally. So what were the steps that you took? Because a lot of people ask, well, how do I even become a professional cyclist? Yeah.
1: So my junior year, I raced my first World Cup. And I think that was an eye-opening experience in a lot of ways and really showed me what it would take to reach that next level, both in terms of fitness, but mainly in terms of skill and being able to tackle those tough European courses and not end up black and blue like I did at my first few races. So I think I really was inspired by those World Cups and was lucky enough to race the whole World Cup circuit my junior and senior year. Wow. uh, With the US team. So they were incredible in terms of support and really giving me the opportunity to try and try again in those European races. And I had some early success in my second year as a junior and was able to get on a few podiums, which really made me think this was a possible thing I wanted to continue doing. And that opened up a couple opportunities with me with for me was specialized. So I signed with them my freshman year of college. Mm-hmm. Um, That was an incredible opportunity. They actually signed me. That would be my first year racing U23 World Cup. So they didn't put a lot of pressure on my results and gave me the opportunity to go to all the races, which is pretty unheard of. And a really huge opportunity for me in terms of development, especially because at the same time I was starting college. So it was an all-in year in terms of expectations and results. It was more of a development year and trying to get into the top 10 of those races but that paid off the next year when i was able to step it up a bit and had adjusted to school and was able to make some better decisions about my scheduling and really try for those world cup podiums
0: yeah and you're such a great ambassador for specialized like you do an amazing job and yeah they're lucky to have you (laughs) well i'm lucky to have them yeah it's a good, good partnership yeah, so I like this because you're saying that you in high school you were traveling to Europe and like a lot of high schoolers. I mean, I think of myself in high school. I certainly didn't have the maturity to be doing that. <laughs> and also, you know, you were in college as well, and you went to Stanford, which is a really awesome school. And you're able to find a way to balance your schoolwork and training and traveling and and race at the highest level, and that is no easy task. So, can you kind of tell people? how you approach that. Because whenever you're in school, you can't always train as much as you want. And there's all these other variables. And there's fatigue involved with just your nervous system just doing something other than just riding your bike. So can you talk about that a bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. School is no joke. I say that a lot of my hangriest moments in college came after a big morning of working on schoolwork instead of a big morning of riding, because it does use energy. And that's something that you'll feel in your training when you are you know, exerting yourself in so many different ways. I think that it's easy and it's easy in hindsight even to kind of gloss over all the ups and downs of being a student athlete and just think of it as something that was easy and I managed and it was fine. But I think taking a closer look at that and reflecting on it, which I did in my cycling tips article this year. So I was able to kind of work through that a little bit. It took a lot of planning and a lot of Flexibility, but I think most importantly, it took a a lot of help and being okay with things being a little bit suboptimal and making it work and asking for support where I needed it. So, my parents actually live an hour from Stanford, so I would go home a lot to train. They helped me pack bikes, they helped drive me to the airport. They were really involved in just giving me that support when I needed it, and I got better at figuring out when I did need it and asking for it. And they, they have really been there for me, which is an incredible thing to have. Additionally, companies like specialize and having the right equipment and having it work all the time. Those aspects of support were really important too. And that's something that if you don't race for a professional team, or if your parents don't live nearby, it's something that you don't need to be ashamed about to ask for. You know, you can find a bike shop that you get along really well with and, find a mechanic that you can work with and take your bike in and make sure you get what you need to be able to manage both. So I think that's something that I learned that's continuing to help me in the sport and definitely helped me get through some of those busier times at school um, was that you don't have to do it alone and it doesn't have to be perfect.
0: Yeah. That's really great advice. And yeah, the flexibility piece, I'm sure even with just traveling doesn't always go the way that you hope it goes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. can't agree more. Yeah, so I think having that flexible mindset around that, because like when you're traveling to a race and say you miss a flight or your bike doesn't show up or whatever, and not freaking out and not wasting energy on those things is really important. <laughs> yeah, and
1: that that's a tricky thing, too. That actually was one of my mottos this year was be adaptable. Because I think the more you care, the more you set big goals, and the more you try to dial in your racing and your training you start to become very regimented. And I think that's a, a good thing in a lot of ways. You know, chasing those 1% gains involves power meters and measuring everything and tracking it and setting goals. But a lot of times that takes out the flexibility piece. And this year I tried to strike a better balance between, you know, booking the flight at a time where I knew I'd get a good night's sleep. But then, <laughs> yeah. when, then when it gets delayed and... The best example of this is when I was trying to fly to Southern California for one of the early Prex And it took, I, I didn't get there that day. I had four flights canceled. I went to two wow. different airports. And every flight except the ones I was on took off. So I kept maintaining hope. And, <laughs> <laughs> but but nevertheless, I ended up spending the night taking a flight the next day. So it ended up taking me, you know, 12 hours to do an hour and a half flight. Yeah. But I think in that moment, it actually freed me up a little bit to just go with the flow. I, after I realized I was not making the fourth flight, I just booked a hotel. I tried to make that enjoyable. I got on the flight the next day and kind of was all bets are off, you know, no pressure for this weekend. You know, I didn't even get here till now and made a big joke about it but that took some of the pressure off and i ended up having one of my best results ever after that i went into the rest of the season thinking oh well remember what happened in spring like none of these little issues are that big of a deal so i think being adaptable is you know one of the most important skills as a cyclist and if you're going to travel at all as a human in general it is really important
0: yeah yeah and it's awesome that you have those experiences you can build on to say well Remember that time when things weren't going so well and I still did really well and I felt really good on my bike, like that can still happen again. And there's also the times where everything goes perfect leading up to the event and then it doesn't go as planned. So yeah, I think just doing your best and just, yeah, enjoying the the journey of getting there is so key. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, you never know what's going to happen in bike racing, which is a love-hate aspect of <laughs> it. We love it because it means that you know someday you could line up and win a race that you never imagined winning or you didn't believe you could. But it also means that some days you can have your bike not arrive till two days before the World Cup and have to deal with that, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so speaking of races, I wanna talk about nationals this year because that was so awesome to see you win that race. And whenever you race World Cups this year, you've been racing U23, but whenever you race in domestically, not all the women in the United States race overseas, but a fair bit of them do at the top level. And they're at the top, top level. So being able to line up against women who are racing the other World Cup series, which I don't know, I also want to talk about the difference between the two and and what that's like, but what was that like, like lining up and saying, okay, these these are people that I've been racing against. Maybe I've looked up to them and believing in yourself enough to say, I got this. Like what, how do you get from that point A to point B? Yeah,
1: I think that was a a really exciting result for me and a really awesome race. But part of the good thing about that is that I had no expectations. I hadn't raced those women in a long time since the spring. And obviously, with people targeting different World Cups and peaking in different ways for worlds, you, you really never know what to expect in terms of fitness. So I just prepared as well as I could and went into it kind of ready for any battle that might present itself. But that race actually was a little bit interesting because the short track was two days before. And I had been leading that race until two laps to go when I got a front flat tire. Uh, That was one of the most challenging mental races I've ever had. Because in a short track, having a minute, over a minute lead is, you know,
0: people... It's done. You should race
1: it over until you cross the line. But at that point, you know, I felt like I had it pretty wrapped up and was just going to cruise in and then hit the deck really hard. And that rail hanger and front flatted, cracked the wheel. So I think it was a really good reminder of really needing to commit and stay present and be in the moment in those races. And also just trust your fitness. So in that race, like I hadn't thought about flatting until it happened, obviously. And it doesn't happen in every race. It's something you can't think about and be scared of and worry about ahead of time because that won't help you, actually. You just have to trust that when it happens, you'll be able to deal with it, and obviously you'll be okay. So I had to do a lot of soul-searching and finding motivation in between those two races. And I think when I got to the start line at Nationals, I was kind of – like or the cross-country race, I had kind of let go of the idea of winning because I had gotten so close and so tragically had kind of realized that it, it wasn't over and that I had uh, kind of had a mechanical in the last, the last little bit of the race. So I went into the normal cross-country race kind of ready for anything, excited for another opportunity, but with a lot less pressure on. And I think that allowed me to have a much more present Ride in that
0: race, mm-hmm. and you won, and I won. And yeah, <laughs> things, things came full circle. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I think the most amazing thing, though, is that you said you had to go through some things in between the two races. But it'd be really easy to play the victim mindset in that situation to say, "Poor me, this happened," and there's self compassion there for sure. Like I'm a human being, and this can happen. But being able to let go of that "poor me" and just to be like, "No." I'm here. I'm going to do, I got a job to do. And it doesn't matter what happened two days ago. I'm going to line up today and I'm just going to give it my all. Like that's not easy to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely does take some soul searching and some time. And I think that's the human side of sport that you were talking about, where people see you line up and have this really challenging race and they see you line up and have this really great race. And I think what happens in between is oftentimes what happens while lying in a hotel room bed, pondering, (laughs) you know, something that, people don't get exposure to but that when you talk about it is is more real and honestly connects to I'm sure what people go through in a lot of different things outside
0: of sport yeah yeah for sure I think that sport brings out all these things that happen in daily life but they bring it out really dramatically in some ways and it makes you better everywhere else yeah absolutely the U twenty three World Cups versus the non the do you call it the Elite World Cups? Can you talk about cause not everybody's familiar with World Cup racing, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I am gonna
1: have to put my big girl chamois on next year. <laughs> race the fast girls.
0: Well, uh, I think that you are gonna be just fine, but <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm definitely excited to take the step up and that gives me a lot more fuel for the fire at this off season. But the difference is just U23 is ages 19 to 22, and then everyone else obviously is elite. And it's just a a difference a lot of times in development and experience. So the U23 races are historically a bit slower, and then women kind of go through those ranks and progress up to elite and work their way up the elite field. But I think something that's really special and exciting is that a lot of the women coming up through the U23 fields in the past five years have not been far off. From the elite field, I think, you know, maybe 10 years ago, or I don't even know how long there's been a U23 category, but before I was racing, I've heard that a lot of the U23 women would upgrade to elite and have a lot of years of adjustment and Mm. really be far behind in terms of lap times. But in the past couple of years, there's been a lot of younger racers that are doing really well in elite races internationally and that kind of are already knocking on the door of that elite pace. So I think that's given me a lot of kind of confidence moving forward. Uh, Not obviously that I'm going to go and crush it immediately, but that it's not so far off Mm -hmm. uh, to be competitive in that elite field. And I'm just, I'm excited to kind of take that next step and have a few years where there's actually less pressure on me. I think when you enter a new field, people don't expect you to hit the ground running right away. Uh, Of course, I'm sure there are some expectations and I really love to do well next year and I've set some pretty big goals, but it's an adjustment year for me and a year that's going to show me how far I have to go to reach the top of that field. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And I think it was really cool to see Yolanda Neff win the world championship this year because she was a really strong U23 rider as well when she was racing U23. So I think that speaks really highly of the U23 category.
1: Yeah. She's amazing. And she's one of the young riders we can point to and kind of say they're disrupting the sport and really have in a lot of ways, you know, because I think historically the women in their mid thirties have really dominated and have been winning for a long time. And then there was kind of a little bit of a gap. And now there's these younger racers that are really kind of taking it by storm. And I think that's something that's really exciting and is going to continue to make the fields more and more competitive.
0: Yeah. And it's really cool for the longevity of the sport too, because there was a while where people were like, wow, there's not really many very young women racing. And to see now that there are, and I think that actually NICA in North America anyway, like Europe cycling is so massive there, but I think having Nike and having these, these leagues for younger people is awesome for our sport and so important. Yeah,
1: absolutely. There's been a huge growth in the women's field. I think the junior women's field at Nationals was a lot bigger than the U23 field and that's actually I mean, hopefully the U23 field will also grow But that's something that's really exciting to see in terms of these younger riders coming up and showing up to races
0: Yeah, so I want to talk about Red Bull really quick because everybody is like when they think Red Bull They think like Red Bull Rampage and going off crazy jumps and (laughs) but there are some really amazing cross country racers who work with Red Bull So what does that look like from the cross country side? Yeah, so
1: it's kind of the extreme side in terms of endurance. It's not jumping off crazy things and go, doing downhill races. That stuff terrifies me and I think I would probably injure myself. But but it's recognizing that it is really difficult to do endurance sports and mountain biking is one of those sports that has the extreme endurance side of it, but also a lot of those technical elements. So we have drops and jumps, although they're not as big. We're also on cross country bikes oftentimes hardtails. So So, relatively speaking, there are some really challenging and exciting features. And working with Red Bull has been an incredible opportunity this year. They've been really supportive and really pushed me to set bigger goals. I think that's part of what helped me this year, both on the World Cup circuit and at races like nationals where I'm up against girls who I know are competitive on that elite level. And to go out and just set out the goals of being at the top of this race or at the top of this field and kind of one-year goals, two-year goals, four-year goals. And I think Red Bulls not only helps you set them, but is really committed to the process of reaching those goals and provides me with a lot of support in terms of athletic testing and performance that is helping me really take my game to the next level.
0: Yeah, and like when you're trying to measure the 1% gains, which are hard to measure unless you're looking at technical riding – because that's all, it's yeah. like you, you're either doing it or you're not doing it. But with performance, it's really hard to measure that stuff. So that's really neat that they have that type of uh, technology where they can do that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think it's been really cool to see also that Red Bull really supports women. They have a lot of incredibly badass female athletes. And I'm really proud to be on a team of women that are that are making it happen in sports. And I think it's really cool that there's a company willing to do the right thing and give women an equal opportunity. And they really, they set that as a goal as a company internally, but I think they really follow through on that. They are sponsoring so many female athletes and giving them the same opportunities that they give their male athletes.
0: That's really cool. I think that's the way to make changes. Like people talk about, oh, well women should have equal treatment. But you said equal opportunity, and I agree that equal opportunity is the way to go. Because I don't know, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think for me, equal opportunity is the biggest thing. I think like being a feminist for me comes down to that. It's just, it's just giving women the same opportunity to succeed as men. It's not necessarily, you know, treating them any differently than men. It's just saying you both have the chance to do this, and then it's kind of up to you. And I think in sport in particular just having those opportunities open saying there's a spot on the team for women there's you know a sponsor that's willing to support women and men it doesn't necessarily need to mean like kind of giving women disparate attention or disparate support (laughs) giving them the same opportunity to succeed and i think when those opportunities are presented women do just as well as men.
0: <laughs> and, yeah, they step up to the challenge, and it motivates them to do so.
1: Yeah, and I, I also think in a sport like mountain biking, there is a difference between men and women. You know, mm-hmm. I learned racing the team relay at World Championships <laughs> when I was up against all junior boys. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I was the only women, woman who went second in the race. Got it in my head that I was as fast as a junior boy, so just absolutely ruined myself in the first three, like did my highest two minute power by like 50 Watts.
0: Wow.
1: Pruning with the boys. But I think honestly, the fact that an elite woman is getting schooled by junior boys tells us there is a, a biological difference in performance in certain ways, not in other ways, but it doesn't mean what women are doing on mountain bikes is any less valuable. Actually the races are, in many ways more exciting and better to watch (laughs) but um in my opinion Mm -hmm. but I think it is is cool just to see that those things can be different and equally valuable and should be equally supported and given the same opportunities
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I love that so did you graduate this year yes I did
1: I graduated in the spring awesome
0: congratulations thank you yeah so what does that feel like now because you've always had you've since you're the onset of your career, you've always had to manage and balance like this load of having school there to deal with. So how does that impact your plan moving forward?
1: Yeah, I think hopefully it'll just give me a little more time to rest and recover. Mm-hmm. I think biggest thing you sacrifice when you're doing something outside of training full time. And I'm just hoping that gives me, you know, a few more hours to work with every day. <laughs> but, but yeah, I think I'm also going to be obviously upping my training load a little bit this year Mm -hmm. heading into elite and I've started to be able to handle a bit more volume so it's really becoming a full-time job and something that requires all my attention and time which is really great timing with being able to graduate.
0: Mm -hmm. That's really cool. It's funny like for me it's really hard for me to just focus on training and a lot of times I admit that my training ends up coming second or third and all the other things I'm trying to do um, for personal branding or for sponsors or whatever end up I don't have the discipline to put training first. And I think that that's hard to do. And especially like with your partnerships and like you have a really large social media following, like there is responsibility involved there. And it is hard to sometimes say like, no, like I'm an athlete first. So have you ever had any experience with that? (laughs) Like feeling that way?
1: That's currently something that I'm still sorting through and trying to find balance in it. I think, you know, the more of a following you get, the more you kind of excel in the sport, the more different people are going to want you to do things and the more opportunities you have to do things. It it doesn't always have to be someone else asking. It can be me wanting to write articles or wanting to do a video project, but there's just more things that pull on your time. And it's something that I'm definitely struggling with and trying to, you know, come up with clear ideas of what I want to be spending my time on and also trying to find ways to give time to people and the high school league and supporting women in the sport and all these different things that are so important to me but that in a lot of ways you know when it's requiring a Saturday and a Sunday or all day being on your feet are things that are really incompatible with training so it's definitely something I'm working on and trying to find balance in and hopefully will do an okay job of this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a fallacy in that people think, oh, you're professional, you don't have to work a traditional job, like where you go nine to five. So all you have to do is ride your bike and you're so lucky and like you don't have anything else. And sure, it's much easier to have the flexibility, like it is way easier. However, there are a lot of other responsibilities and, and even just intrinsically motivated things that you want to do to give back that people don't realize how much time goes into that. And no matter where you are in the sport as a professional, um, you want to be giving back because it feels good. And that's how you got to where you're at in the first place is by other people helping you. So, yeah, it's so hard to find the strike a balance with that. And, yeah, it's it's tough.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, just training is it's less about time and more about energy. I like to think about it when I was in school, I always tried to think of things as energy management. So like Mm -hmm. when I do something, it was giving away like a unit of energy and school required so many units of energy and training required so many units of energy. And when you think about a job that way, you know, going on a five-hour ride requires about as much energy as something can require from you. And it takes a lot of time to recover from that And to build kind of that recovery time into your day requires looking after yourself and understanding that it is a job, like a regular nine to five job and looking at it that way. Because otherwise, you know, someone looking from the outside, it's I got to ride my bike for five hours, which is really fun, and then eat lunch and take a nap and stretch. That's a whole day. And you could say like the time when you're relaxing and recovering is wasted time but it's so necessary for training and i think that's something that's kind of my next job as an athlete is learning to be able to protect that time and protect my personal energy and not always be answering emails or always be posting on social media and kind of get using the excuse that i'm not doing anything otherwise
0: yeah i'm gonna end up replaying what you just said because i definitely (laughs) need to work on that like I am so bad about that. Like, I don't rest. <laughs> My rest involves going to the computer and uh, getting some work done. So, yeah, it's so hard. It takes so much discipline to actually rest. And there's a, another podcast episode I did on peak. Perf- it was a book called Peak Performance, and you might like the book. But it's about burnout, and it's about the importance of rest. <laughs> a good reminder to me. <laughs> Yeah, and they always say, like, have the courage to rest. And I'll be, like, knowing that I'm not resting, and I keep saying, have the courage to rest, and I don't have the courage to rest right now. I'm building up the courage to rest. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But I, I think also, and this is something that I'm sure athletes, even who aren't professionals, struggle with is being able to kind of honor the need for rest, and you don't need to justify that to other people. I think that's the thing that I'm starting to learn and trying to remind myself is, If I can't do a call because I need to take a nap um, instead of feeling like that's just selfish and unnecessary, I'm trying to think of that as something that's part of my job, first of all, but something that's that I need and that I don't need to justify why I need it. But if I did a five hour ride, I'm going to take a nap and being okay with that and not worrying about what other people think of it is something that I think is going to help me a lot in the next few months, especially as training picks up.
0: Yeah. So like I haven't done cross country in so long, so I'm not super familiar with the training. So do you actually need to do like five hour rides? I I see that you do a lot of those and I love on your Instagram, you like post your SRM and I'm like, dang, she is just killing it. So can you tell me why you need to do such long ones for cross country?
1: I think five hours maybe is a little longer than what we normally do. I actually, those are my like fun adventure rides in the fall during my off season. It's kind of an opportunity to ride as much as I want or as little as I want, and not, you know, worry about the exact metrics or how yeah. tired I'm in the next day. I can ride five hours and take a day off if I need to. Yeah, you know, it's a little more flexible. I can eat a pastry in the middle if
0: I need to. Yeah, or mini. <laughs> um,
1: so those longer rides aren't quite as critical, but I think for me, doing you know three to four hour rides really consistently and hitting those bigger twenty hour weeks that I started doing last year is a way that I've been able to accelerate getting base fitness. That's something that takes a lot of attention and management just to make sure that I don't get too worn down. It requires a lot of attention and nutrition and to kind of balance in terms of stretching and seeing PT, but that's really helped me be able to like sustain that baseline power for those longer races. So that Mm -hmm. when I'm peaking to the sprint power, I come back down to a baseline power where I can recover. Right. Uh, And that's the biggest difference when you get to those most elite levels is their base power is so high that they can do that huge effort at the beginning and then recover and do it again. Yeah. And for me, one of the ways that I've tried to kind of accelerate reaching that is building base with those longer rides and using power numbers and a lot of data and science to kind of try to make those gains
0: faster. Yeah. Yeah. And like, what's typical for a cross country? Like how many days a week are you doing intensity? I mean, I know it has to do with if you just race and like all, all these different factors, but like, what's the average, would you say for cross country?
1: Well, yeah. Days of intensity. It's, it's almost hard to say because I think, especially not being in school, my weeks aren't structured as weeks as much as they're structured as like big training blocks. Yeah. In big training blocks I'll do intensity, you know, every couple of days mm-hmm. and have harder rides in between. And I actually this past year did a couple like really insane blocks that pushed me harder than I've gone in even races, I would say. And I would call them my tour de taco because I would eat <laughs> taco after a lot of those rides. Uh, <laughs> but for me that involved, you know, really, really specific intensity, a lot of volume. And then actually I found a really amazing, there's a, a really fun group ride in the area. So there's another pro woman who lives in the area, Katie Hall, and we would go on those rides and just throttle each other. It was full race pace, but then on like a four hour ride. So I think a lot of those training blocks, some might say that's unnecessary for a cross country athlete, but I think it. It made me a lot stronger physically and also mentally it showed me that I can push a lot harder than I thought I could. And knowing that race effort on a four and a half hour ride really changes the way I think about it when I go to a race and I say, okay, you know, I did this and I still rode after so I I probably am going to survive.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think just that just trains your engine even better just (laughs) if you can do that for longer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So have you had a lot of experience with burnout and overwhelm because you did manage all these different things and there's like expectations and all all the other things going on around cycling and your life. So burnout and overwhelm is a common thing amongst people who work really hard and you work really hard. So how have you managed that?
1: Yeah, I think luckily, I think especially this season, I started working with a new coach and really Got excited about these big goals and got excited about riding my bike and and found a much better balance with having rides be fun and really, really specific and focused. Mm-hmm. So on my hardest training days, that was, there's no music, it's pretty much solo, kind of glued to my power meter doing race-specific workouts. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, those other rides, I get to do a lot more flexible, fun rides and also some of those group rides so I think for me, you know, managing my kind of motivation and how I was feeling throughout the year really guards against burnout. I think it's something that happens really, really slowly over time and just by pushing too hard kind of on a on a regular basis and also not looking after yourself. So I think making the effort to really pay attention to how it's feeling and accommodating you know, what I needed throughout the year made it a lot easier to stay motivated and excited. And I think also I work with a sports psychologist, which I've, you know,
0: I do too. I think we have the same one, maybe. (laughs) Have a great. She Um, was on the show. She's episode one. Yeah. She's like, I'm episode one. Like, Yep.
1: Yeah. She's crushing it. She's (laughs) leading, leading you out. But yeah, no, that really, I think helps to have someone that continues to bring those issues up. And force to think about them and talk through them. And I know she always says that motivation is an emotion, not a muscle. And I think that changed the way I thought about it a lot Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, we think as athletes, you just push harder, you do more, you kind of hit the rock with the hammer and eventually it'll break. But I think with motivation, a lot of times it's something that has to be looked after and cared for and kind of brought along on the journey. And you know, that can take many different forms, and maybe it's never an issue for you. And that would be awesome. But sometimes it does require a bit more attention. And just living a lifestyle that that suits your needs in the moment. So sometimes for me, that means just going on a mountain bike ride and not looking at my power meter. But other times, I'm totally excited to do really, really intense rides. So it can it can vary.
0: Cool. So when when does the season start next year?
1: I think in March is the first World Cup in South Africa.
0: Yeah, so exciting. Do you have anything yeah. fun planned between now and then? Just like fun riding trips or just maybe you're just resting, not traveling? <laughs> a, l- a
1: little bit of travel. I'm doing a race in Mexico next month. Was um, oh, that the Baja you... one? No, it's Popo Bike. It's a marathon race. Oh, cool. Dua. All you and to
0: ask about how to do marathon races. Oh, uh, you just do your four hour. This it'll be like your four hour pace. You just go do it. Okay, I'll just. <laughs> you got it. I'll channel your
1: badass long <laughs> yeah. ride, uh, abilities. But no, mostly for the off season, it's a bit more flexible. I have some little photo shoots, mountain bike rides planned, and then you know training starts pretty soon <laughs> for, yeah. the, for the spring.
0: Yeah, like people always ask me how much time like if I ride a road bike and I know everybody else, everybody's different with their road riding. So like what role does road biking play in your training?
1: I ride my road bike a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. I love it. I think of it as my little workhorse. You know, it's really easy to keep power consistent and to do really high quality workouts on the road bike. And a lot of times when I spend a lot of hours on my mountain bike, there's the element of like fatigue from just skills work and all that so I tend to think of riding my mountain bike more as fun and skills work Mm -hmm. and then road bike is where I do a lot of my intervals and a lot of those longer kind of you know volume rides also varies based on the time of year I think during the spring and summer I ride my mountain bike a lot more just to stay in the same position but but a lot of my training happens on road
0: yeah I was going to ask you about the different position because like I hardly ever ride a road bike, but sometimes I'll do a, like, sometimes I'll just jump in. Well, it's because I, I just am afraid of the cars on the road and where I live. I just, I mean, I was, people do say the road riding is good here, but every time I'm out there, I feel vulnerable and I don't feel good. So I actually, like, I'll ride to the trail. So I ride like 30 minutes, 35 minutes to the trail on the road. And, you know, so there's a little bit in there, but I'll ride like dirt roads for intervals to keep that effort steady, but... But yeah, like I find that if I get on a road bike, like last year I just did some cross races without riding my cross bike at all beforehand. And just being in that different position because your hips are at a different angle and like the angle of, yeah, like your the bend at your hip, that angle is different than it would be on your mountain bike because uh, you're bent more forward. So the way that you actually engage your muscles is slightly different. So if you never do it, you're not coordinated properly in the way that you would be if you rode more. So yeah, sometimes I think about it like, is it bad to ride road bikes because you're exerting power in a position that is slightly different than what would be on your mountain bike? Oh,
1: definitely. Yeah. And there's, and there's trade-offs for sure to riding a road bike a lot.
0: And it's something I, I think about and hopefully
1: I think part of why I wasn't riding my mountain bike as much was because of school. Cause yeah. it's a lot easier to just get on your road bike and go totally. really efficient workout in than sometimes it is on the mountain bike. But I think for me, I've gotten the fit pretty close and I intentionally oh, cool. you know, like have tried to keep it pretty similar. So mm-hmm. saddle position is most important with that. And I don't run a very aggressive road position. So yeah. I'm kind of in that different of a, of a place, but it's definitely something I think of, especially once I transition in the spring to racing, yeah. I try a lot more time on my mountain bike, but ultimately for me in my experience, the transition has gone really well and Mm -hmm. my body just adapts the mountain bike again. And I spend more time on it, but I definitely have had experiences where transition can be, uh, it it feels different, but I think my body's
0: responded well to it. That's awesome. It's cool. It sounds like you have lots of stuff dialed and some fun things ahead. And yeah, like I'll put in the show notes, a link to your cycling tips article you're a great writer. And I think that you should do more writer. Yeah, I'd love to see more yeah. articles. I, I know I'm at like, that's more work. But yeah, you're like, you're really inspiring. And you're yeah. really like, relatable. And I think that that's so important. And so awesome. And such a great example for our sport to have you. So yeah, thanks for being you.
1: So much. Thank you yeah. for being you. I really <laughs> loved listening to some of these podcasts and seeing you bring different ideas in that are that are really going to make the sport better. And I think most importantly, more enjoyable for people because we are just people after all riding bikes. So there's a lot more to think about than just pedaling.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the mental fitness and the mental just work, um, that's oftentimes not stressed enough. And I love that you say very openly you work with a sports psychologist and I do too. And I think that a lot of people might be embarrassed to even say the word psychologist, like there's something wrong with them, but Really, I mean, you need to take care of your brain and and your thought processes, too. And I think for people knowing that that's okay and that that does actually help you succeed in some ways, even more so than doing an extra interval on your bike, you know, so that's really cool.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's it's cool to have a community of people that are willing to talk about it and open about it. And I'm proud to be a part of that and really excited to be a part of that conversation moving forward.
0: Cool. Well, hopefully uh, I'll run into you at some point soon and we can actually ride together. I would absolutely love that. Awesome. Bikes. don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) I'll ride a road bike. I'm actually doing... There's this thing called Giro Divino in November in Lodi, California. Do you know this thing? No, but that sounds... Up my alley. Yeah, it's in Lodi, like outside Sacramento, <laughs> but it's November 4th, I think. And one of my sponsors is a winery, Michael David Winery. So I'm just going to go hang out and ride to wineries on my road bike. So yeah, if you want to come out and... It's not the taco ride, but there's wine involved. <laughs> and you know,
1: I'm a woman of many culinary interests. So... Uh, <laughs> awesome.
0: Awesome, well, thank you so much. Thanks, we'll see you later. Hope to see you soon. That was so awesome talking to Kate. She's so inspiring and just so fun to talk to. I hope that I get to see her very, very soon. That's it for the show, guys. But for me, I'm off to Brazil next week. I can't believe it's already here. I'm racing Brazil Ride, a seven-day mountain bike stage race with Gordon Wadsworth in the mixed category. Gordon and I raced the Pioneer in New Zealand earlier this year, and we are the quad squad. Gordon and I might have the biggest quads in mountain biking. So I'm really looking forward to that. And that's going to be the last race of my season. Thanks again for listening, you guys. Please share the show with your friends if you like it and you think that they would like it too. Your word of mouth is the best possible way to get this out there. I have a newsletter on my website. It's in the sidebar, or if you just go to sanyaluni.com, a form will pop up if you want to join. I send out free tips, podcast notifications, coupon codes, and all kinds of good stuff. I'm planning on doing a fair bit more writing this winter, so definitely stay tuned for that. I'll be sending out those notifications over my newsletter as well. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures, and we'll see you back here next week.